Welcome to the Marie Manu Cherry Show, where energy and medicine meet. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 19 years of healthcare experience and began my career as an energy medicine practitioner while working as an oncology nurse at a Seattle area hospital. My skill in moving energy combined with my medical background have been a catalyst for change in many people's lives. I hope the next hour will be transformative for you as well. Hello and welcome to the Manu Cherry Show. We're live here in Seattle in, I don't know what happened to the traffic, Benny, this morning. Did you like bless it? Because I really had absolutely no trouble getting here today. I've got power sometimes beyond the control of myself. So uh, you it's just the way it works, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're quite welcome. <laughs> <laughs> nice smooth traveling here, uh, which is important. You know, we want people to travel safely all during the day and night, of course. And and of course, what we wish is that we didn't have traffic problems Um Seattle's sometime compared to uh, New York in some way, although we don't honk here. It's rare when you hear people honking in Seattle. You know it's a really we stressful use other life. features of <laughs> we do. communication. Oh, yeah. I didn't I'm even think saying, about that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who does it, though, right? I wave. You That's wave. my feature. Yeah. Well, I well, wave. And th- we do have the Seattle wave, like when people in, we let people into lines, you know, into lanes, we wave. I've been seeing a little less and less, though, oh, these days. People need to start gracious. waving more. I think okay, it's better. Mm-hmm. Let's be a little happier, people. Well, one of the things I get to do on this show is interview people who I believe are on the leading edge of thought. And today I get to interview Dr. Melissa Clark. She is a Harvard-educated physician for over 20 years, healthcare educator, patient advocate. Her new book, Excuse Me, Doctor, I've Got What?, helps consumers make educated decisions regarding conventional and alternative healthcare practitioners, hospitals, insurance, financial options, and self-care strategies under the new Affordable Care Act. So welcome to the show, Dr. Clark. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. Yeah, and I understand that you're going to be in Seattle. Is it this month? Actually, in March, March 28th, I'll be at Town Hall Seattle at 7 o'clock, speaking about being health-empowered and uh, also understanding how healthcare reform is allowing us to be more healthcare-empowered. Yeah, which it really is. I've read most of your book. It's it's a lovely book. I mean, it's, I I love the way you wrote it because you wrote it for everyone. You, you know, it's. I mean, obviously, you're a very well educated woman. <laughs> and Thank you. You're welcome. But you found a way to to get your reader engaged and and to become self aware. You write in the book that one of the things that's happening with the the new healthcare act is that we need to become more, more responsible for our health. That, um, that that's imperative. In fact, we may be even financially penalized in the future if we don't take good care of our health. That's absolutely right. And actually, I guess a more positive way to look at it is that, you know, for healthcare is kind of the last frontier. That's what I always say. In every other aspect of our lives, you know, when we're buying a, even a washing machine or buying a house or a car, we do our research. We talk to a lot of different people, and we really look for the quality in the situation. Now, uh, healthcare is available now for us to do that. There are more resources, more information out there about how to get quality healthcare for ourselves, and more importantly, be involved in the decision-making and be involved in reclaiming our health, doing things that promote our own health. There's more information and inspiration out there than ever before. And it's been shown that people who take an active role in their health and are engaged in their health actually have better health outcomes, fewer medical mistakes are made, um, they're happier overall with the results, 
And as you said, the costs are lower. They actually spend less money um, in their health care. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I believe that this is a positive trend that um, most humans have given their power away to physicians and others and haven't really listened to their own needs, whatever those might be, or even make suggestions. They they go in almost blind um, and just listen to what another person has to say for about their health and their diagnosis and their treatments. And and I think it's important to have educated um, information and diagnoses, but that we need to be an active part of our healing. Absolutely. I call it moving from the trunk of the healthcare mobile to the front seat. Wow. And really being an active co-pilot along with your physicians of choice. And, and excuse me, doctor, I've got what we go through all the different kinds of physicians there are, including alternative practitioners and building your healthcare team. So really working with them as partners and going into that interaction with the full understanding that, number one, you are in, you're in the most control of your health. Your body is designed for healing. And so if you start with that premise, then you start with the premise that everyone who I'm surrounding myself with, including the things that I'm doing for myself, have to create the environment for my body to heal. And I'm going to be an active participant in that process. Yeah, you even write that if your allopathic physician, so your MD, let's say, as an example, um, doesn't believe in some of the choices that you're interested in, like some holistic approaches, or isn't supporting you in that decision, that it might be in your best interest to rethink or re-interview a new physician. Yes, absolutely. So we talk extensively in um, the chapter on relating to your doctor, which is chapter seven, Mm -hmm. on how to choose a physician. So it starts off with Um, understanding what resources there are on the Internet um, and just in your community and figuring out what physicians are highly qualified and perhaps best suited to work with you as a partner. There's a website called uh, the National Commission on Quality Assurance, Mm. ncqa.org, where you can actually put in your zip code and their physician finder feature and see those physicians in your community who have been recognized by NCQA, which is an independent organization, to provide what's called patient-centered care, most likely to work with you as a, as a partner. You can then uh, use, for example, the questions that I've outlined in Chapter 7 to interview your doctor. Number one, figure out what things are most important to you in terms of convenience, And number two, understand what kinds of qualities you want your doctor to have and use those questions to, as you said, interview a doctor to figure out, are they, do they resonate with what's important to me? Can I work with them as a decision maker? Do they explain things very clearly and in simple language? Uh, Do they have good listening skills, good attention span? Do they seem compassionate and open to other healing traditions, if that's what's important to me? And do they know their limitations? Um, If I ask them something, do they get defensive or evasive, or do they say, hey, I don't know, but I'll point you in the right direction to find that answer out? Yeah, because you write that um, Americans are becoming more frustrated with not being heard and and with a doctor perhaps um, not, not admitting that he or she may not know the answer to a question 
and may, maybe making it not an important question when it is to the patient. And, and you, you write that that's prop, you know, one of the primary complaints that Americans have today about their allopathic practitioners. It is. Um, there are some who are getting it right. and as Like I said, yourself, you're, clearly. You're, <laughs> uh, yes, but also others who, you know, for example, you can find on the NCQA website um, or just by word of mouth. But I think it's an important quality to look for because, again, a person who's most likely to work with you as a partner has to have that that openness, um, that flexibility, and that understanding of their own limits. Right. Exactly. You know, like it's not not everyone is expected to know everything. You know, and, and medicine is such a huge um, scientific, knowledgeable body of information, and it changes all the time. Um, and, you know, when we have physicians with busy practices and, and hopefully a fulfilling private life as well, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, they may not know everything that um, you bring to their attention. Exactly. New concepts that are actually emerging in medicine is that of the patient-centered medical home and the patient-centered medical neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And in both of those new paradigms in which physicians are being encouraged to practice under and are actually being incentivized to set up, the emphasis is teamwork, working with a team, whether that be um, other physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, physical therapists, nutritionists, to be able to provide as a team the care that any given patient needs. And moving away from that concept of the doctor is the solo practitioner, you know, who has all the answers, to really being able to uh, surround the patient with a complete support system. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I was an oncology nurse quite a while ago, and now I work in holistic health. And the patients who have chosen a team, as you described, of, of their choosing, I feel like their own intuitive abilities get to um, be rekindled. Their awareness is more um, conscious for them because perhaps a, one practitioner will say something that will help them to ask a further question with another practitioner. And I just feel like they, they overall um, tend to do very well in the medical system um, when they've cr- created this team of support for them, um, where maybe they'll feel more free asking, asking one p- particular practitioner a question versus another, but having the opportunities um, to ask as many questions as they need to throughout their team approach. That's so true. And I think it's also the realization that most of our care and most of our healing happen outside of that 15 minutes that we have with the doctor. So there are now more opportunities to interact with other people outside of just one physician when you have, for example, a health coach or a nurse practitioner or a physical therapist, or if you expand that definition of healthcare team to include alternative practitioners, again, back to the Chapter 5, creating your healthcare team, when you also think about acupuncturists and chiropractors, massage therapist, um, when you think about all those different people who actually you can work with to impact your health. So have you always been this way? Because I've known a lot of doctors in the day, and I think the profession is amazing. I love modern medicine. I think it's important to have checkups and, you know, do all those routine things that we need to do to make sure that our body is well. But I haven't run across too many um, allopathic physicians who have your breath of fresh air and awareness. So have you always been this way or did working in medicine um, make you change some of your um, perceptions? I mean, what happened? What's the deal? (laughs) So this is the deal. 
Yeah. Uh, when I finished, when I went to medical school, you know, I loved medicine. I loved medical school. I had a great time. I went to University of California, San Francisco, so, you know, West Coast. Um, had a great experience and really brought into the paradigm that there was really nothing outside of allopathic medicine, that allopathic medicine had all the answers. And um, my dad was a pharmacist, and he actually contributed to that, you know, kind of watching him work as I grew up. He got Parkinson's disease um, when I was shortly out of out of medical school in residency, and it took a long time to diagnose. We went to different doctors. A lot of medical mistakes happened. Um, he almost died because of a medical mistake in the hospital, and he had a lot of side effects from the medicines. And that actually drove home to me that, you know, there has to be a different way. And medicine, allopathic medicine, and just so everybody knows what allopathy is, that's just the uh, formal name for anybody you see with the name MD after their name, the conventional system of medicine that we're familiar with, um, that there, there have to be other ways of looking at this, and uh, meaning health and healing, um, and that there are ways to improve the medical system and the way that we are going about our business. And so it led me to do a couple things. Number one is I chose to educate myself. I chose one modality, which is Chinese medicine and mm. acupuncture, to learn more about. Mm. And I got certified in acupuncture. Wow. Um, it also, uh, I was assistant dean of a medical school at that point in time. I got grants that helped doctors become, quote-unquote, more culturally competent, so understanding how to relate more to patients um, and remove their biases. So um, that grant allowed me to design curricula for medical students and residents to really focus on that, and then also got grants to improve health literacy in the community, so kind of going at the problem from both sides the communication, lack of communication skills with doctors, and also empowering patients to be more health literate and understand about their condition and about the healthcare system. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your interest. I'm I'm very sorry that your father um, suffered from Parkinson's disease. Is he still with us, or no? He passed Aww. away in 2002. Um, but uh, you know, I I think that you know you go through. Um, experiences in your life for a reason, and uh, I think that was at least one of the takeaways from from his suffering and from what he experienced is he allowed me to see things in a different way. Wow. Well, I'm, you're going to be at home when you come to Seattle because we have the most acupuncturists per capita in the U.S. <laughs> in in uh, Seattle area. So you're going to be right at home here um, with, yes. with all of us. And then, of course, we're also home to Bastyr University. Absolutely. Right. Two of my best friends went oh. to Bastyr. Oh, how lovely. How yes, lovely. yes. So when I was reading the book, and also I wanted to point out to our readers, I highly recommend that people pick up this book. It's very effective, very knowledgeable, very empowering, because I agree with you. Healing actually happens after the visit, you know, like... Um, whether a person's taking medication or learning to meditate or um, changing their, their food and, and lifestyle, as you point out, which I'm so looking forward to talking more with you about as well, is that people heal themselves through the choices they make, um, the rest, um, the recovery, all of those things. And so that, that time period with your practitioner, your physician, is lovely and very important. But what you do with all of that when you walk out of the office is even more important. 
Absolutely. You know, I um, talk about being a prepared healthcare consumer, and one of the biggest preparations is preparing to talk with your doctor. And so everyone knows, you know, you should have your list of medicines and you should be prepared to talk about your symptoms. But I actually outline five questions that you should absolutely not leave your doctor's office without getting answered. The first is, what's wrong with me? And it needs to be explained to you in simple terms and shouldn't be a reiteration of the symptom you came in with. So if you Mm -hmm. came in with a symptom of knee pain, your diagnosis should not be knee pain. It should be, hey, doc, what are the three things you think are going on and what are the tests that you're going to use to either rule them in or rule them out? The second question, what do I need to know about the treatment, its effects, side effects, and cost? How long is it going to take for the treatment to kick in? And because I don't want to get discouraged if it's going to take two weeks and I don't see results in three days. So my expectations need to be set around the treatment and its effects and its side effects. And then what are the alternatives to taking the prescribed treatment? Always remember you have a choice in the matter, and you should understand what your choices are and what the potential consequences are so that you can make an informed decision. The next is what are the next steps? You know, what do I need to do when I need he- leave here? Who do you want me to see? Do you want me to see a nutritionist or an orthopedist or an acupuncturist or a neurosurgeon? And do I make those appointments or do you? And finally, getting to your point, what are the self-care actions I need to do at home? Have a clear understanding of what you need to do when you need leave the office in terms of moving towards your healing, the actions you need to take and the behaviors you need to adapt whether it's losing weight, whether it's walking, whether it's cutting salt out of your diet, whether it's checking your blood sugar, uh, whether it's meditating. Be clear on them, how to do them, how often, and what what the goal is. Oh, I just love that. I, I love the question, too, about how long is this all going to take? Because if it's going to take a while, then you even have opportunities to maybe go have an acupuncture session and see if right. it works for you. Um, is it effective and how effective is it? And Or maybe you, you know make some dietary changes if you're having indigestion problems and you notice that, oh, I stopped eating wheat or what you also wrote is an inflammatory process, soy, and I'm feeling better already. You know, can I can that work for me? And can I go back in, in a month's time and see how I'm doing and have another conversation with my physician? I think that's excellent advice. I, th- I think sometimes we run too fast towards dissolving symptoms without really treating the problem or finding a way to, you know, even if we need a surgical procedure, we may need, you know, followed up acupuncture afterwards as part of our rehabilitation. So I, I just think that's lovely. Yes. So, for example, when I when I wrote it, I was thinking, for example, about um, antidepressants. Mm-hmm. In some situations, some people need antidepressants. Right. They take two weeks to kick in. If you don't know that and you're expecting that after the first three doses you're going to get a cure like with an antibiotic, then you're going to get discouraged. Right. You know, you're going to quit. So you need to have a realistic expectation of how long it takes. But as you said, it can work. I mean, that that advice works across the board with anything. Physical therapy. Right. If you're expecting a change with the first session or with acupuncture with the first session, sometimes it happens. But more often than not, acupuncture can take anywhere from five to ten sessions to kick in. 
So you should go in with the understanding of that so you're not looking for a quote-unquote miracle cure um, and understand that it took you a while to get where you are in terms of your level of health, and it may take you a while to reverse that process and get back to your baseline or even better. Wow. I'm having the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Melissa Clark. She's an MD who will be here in Seattle giving a talk at the... um, Town Hall. It's a beautiful building, by the way. You're going to love it. It's very historic. It's gorgeous. That's on March 28th um, at 7 o'clock. Doors open up at 6. We're going to take a break here on the Marie Manu Cherry Show. We'll be right back. If you want to know how to get in touch with Marie or find out what's on her calendar, there's a variety of ways to do so. You could become Marie's friend on Facebook or even follow her on Twitter. Check out Marie's website. There's tons of new features like Chakra of the Month, a live Twitter feed, and three PDFs with extensive exercises for your chakras. You can also sign up for Marie's free quarterly newsletter and also get your questions answered in her Dear Marie column. Simply email Marie your question and she will answer it in an upcoming edition. Marie also will be speaking and signing books throughout the U.S. in 2013. Find out if she'll be in your area on her events page at energyintuitive.com. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I, I want to be a bike that races around the when country. When I grow up, I want to be a bench on a forest when I trail. Grow up, I want to be a rocking chair on when a sunny I up, porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be a... 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me... I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Marie is thrilled to announce she will be back teaching at both Hollyhock locations in 2014. She will be at the beautiful Cortez Island in British Columbia, June 29th through July 4th. Come join her for this five-day workshop at a breathtaking venue to learn about energy, perception, and healing while basking in the beauty of Cortez. October 24th through the 26th, Marie will be at the Hollyhocks Vancouver, BC location for a two and a half day workshop on discovering and dissolving blockages to health. Learn to discover how you can unravel old patterns and return to your authentic nature. Register online at hollyhock.ca. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome back celebrity medium James Van Prague, renowned master of afterlife communication, and he's promised to take some calls. On Saturday, Pam Osley returns with metaphysical insights into the color of your aura and what it means, and that's just for starters. Then Brent Mitchell discusses the latest UFO sightings from his remote outpost in Alaska. Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10, right here on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Tell your friends, the place to be is Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And 
welcome back to Marie Manu Cherry Show. I'm having the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Melissa Clark. She's a practicing MD, Harvard graduate, who works in Washington, D.C. in the ER. And she wrote this really informative book. Um, excuse me, Dr. I've Got What? And, it, and I know you wrote it for everyone, but you also wrote it for people who all of a sudden are diagnosed with something like something scary like cancer. And all that fear sets in and stress. And, and of course, physicians want you to make decisions really quickly when you're diagnosed with something that could potentially be life-threatening. And, and it's overwhelming, to say the least. And, and most people don't have a degree in medicine. Um, and, and maybe they don't have any friends or family members who are educated in the field as well. And it's almost like getting the rug pulled out from underneath you when you all of a sudden have to make decisions about treatments like potentially open-heart surgery or chemotherapy or drugs that could have serious side effects. And, and so your book in Chapter 5, one of the things I, I also enjoy about it is you write down all the different allopathic um, descriptions that physicians have, their specialties, so that people can know what they potentially are looking for in a doctor and then, of course, you have websites throughout your book about where people can get advocacy help um, in terms of it, of choosing the right practitioner for them, allopathic or otherwise. So what is, besides reducing stress, which I know we're going to talk about because you've talked about that over and over again in your book, um, what is the best advice you could give someone who was just, you know, went in, just thought they were going to have a regular checkup and, and, and they thought everything was fine because they were feeling fine and whammy, um, something not so great showed up on their labs. Sure. Well, you're going to go through a period of shock. That's unavoidable. And uh, possibly uh, depression and denial. Uh, that's all normal. But once you go through that and in helping you go through that, I would say number one is, again, realize that Things are not happening to you. Uh, the root word of the uh, the root um, derivation of the word patient is actually the word suffering. Mm. And a lot of times we feel that uh, when you when you think of suffering, you think of things happening to you from the outside over which you have no control, which historically has been what the experience of being a patient has been like. But one of the things I would encourage anyone to do is, number one, as I mentioned before, realize that your body is designed for healing. We have this incredible thing in our body called the immune system that every day takes care of 100,000 cancer cells popping up and neutralizes them and get rid, gets rid of them. It repairs our body and it recreates our body. Our body constantly is uh, recreating our heart, our taste buds, our liver, um, multiple cells in our body and creating new cells. So understand that our body is not like a static thing. And the way you have so much control over how well your immune system functions, I break it down into basically five things that we and only we have control over. Number one is nutrition. Number two is water, hydration. Number three is sleep, how much sleep we get. Number four is movement, and I specifically say movement and not exercise. Um, and then finally is managing our stress and our response to stressors in our life. Those five things actually make or break our immune system on a daily basis, and how well we do them and, and how well we focus on them really gives our immune system a fighting chance to take care of any disease that 
crops up in our life. It's estimated that about 80% of chronic diseases, so things like cancer, stroke, heart attack, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, all of those things at their root cause come from a malfunctioning immune system. So really focusing on that is the first step. The second step um, has to do with what I mentioned, the depression. A lot of times people um, get into a cycle of depression or are depressed and don't recognize it. There are two simple questions that you can ask yourself, or if you're a caretaker of someone who's going through uh, an illness, ask them, for the last two weeks, have you felt down, sad, or miserable most of the time, or lost interest or pleasure in most of all your usual activities? And if the answer to either of those is yes, it's important to get that depression addressed, diagnosed and addressed through counseling um, uh, or through other means. There are many different treatments for depression. The reason it's so important is because depression makes any illness worse. It makes the manifestation of it worse, and it makes it harder to treat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so starting off with a healthy, um, with, with a, a healthy uh, mental attitude and strong mental health is a large part of improving our physical health. You even write that eat simple ingredient foods, you, you know, like, so when you pick up a package and you can't pronounce most of the ingredients, put it back in the freezer. Put it back. <laughs> yeah, because, it's as simple as that. Yeah, that, that is not good for anyone. We have enough environmental pollutants in our society today. We're very active. We don't get outside as much as we used to. We have sedentary lifestyles. And then, unfortunately, many times because we're so busy, we don't have time to cook, perhaps. But, you know, you can even a, a fun dinner could be if, if someone can tolerate eggs, some scrambled eggs and some boiled organic spinach, you know, something mm-hmm. that we can find simple ingredients. And so you, you're really advocating that for your patients. Absolutely. So from a nutrition standpoint, I talk about eating strategically. Mm. And when I say eat strategically, I mean Give your body, number one, give your body the building blocks that your immune system needs to function. And number two, keep, it, keep away those irritants from your body that irritate your immune system and cause it to get out of balance and lead to disease. So choosing single ingredient foods. So you gave examples, eggs, mm-hmm. spinach, fruits, um, are all single ingredient foods that are not processed and don't have a lot of additives uh, uh, and other things that can irritate our immune system. Um, And staying away from processed foods where there are pesticides, sorry, where there are um, um, preservatives, food dyes, and things like that that irritate our immune system um, is definitely the way to go. I mentioned pesticides, so mm-hmm. even with fresh produce, it's important to buy organic, and if you can't buy organic, wash it very carefully with a mixture of vinegar and water mm-hmm. to be able to get the pesticides off the skin or um, off the surface of the fruits and vegetables you're eating. That's really great advice, the water and vinegar. I hadn't heard of that before, but that's really fabulous. And then you also recommend um, eight ounces of raw vegetable juice daily. I do. It's not a must, but it's an easy way to get the vegetables um, and fruit into your body in a way that your body can use. Again, there are 
valuable things in fruits and vegetables that your immune system needs to function. Um, phytochemicals, anthocyanins, they're all things that are found in fruits and vegetables that at the clinical level, your immune system cells need to be able to function. So a classic example, gout. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the inflammation of the big toe that's extremely painful. Very, yeah. um, and cherry juice has a certain chemical in it that allows your immune system to effectively prevent gout and deal with attacks of gout. Wow. Um, so eating strategically would mean that if you know you have gout, making sure that you're either eating cherries or getting cherry juice in your diet. And no nitrates or a reduction in them significantly. Right, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So juicing is a great way to get those phytochemicals, basically chemicals in plants, into your body in a usable way so that you're not having to eat tons of vegetables and fruits. If you don't have a lot of time, you can just juice them, uh, which takes about 10 minutes, and uh, and drink them, and you're, you're set for the day. Wow. And also the meditation part or yoga or qigong, which are things that you also recommend, to find something that you could do even for 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day that could get your whole nervous system to just relax because that could make a big, um, you know, change even in your physiology so that your immune system can actually have a reprieve and perhaps reboot itself. Yes. So I give this analogy. Uh You know, our, our... stress system, you know, our adrenaline, our cortisol, was designed for that fight or flight. So you're walking in the woods, you see a bear, you either have to defend yourself or run. So your body gears up to do that. When we perceive ourselves to be under chronic stress, so bills, relationships, work, kids, you know, all these things that we perceive to be stressful Our body gears up in the same way for this fight, but the fight, the physical fight or the physical flight never actually happens. But this soup of of hormones and stress chemicals are running around in our body. And what it does is it shuts down our immune system because the body doesn't want energy going into repairing cells and recreating cells. It wants our body to run or fight Mm -hmm. and preserve all the energy for that. So when you're walking around with this soup of stress hormones running around in your system, your your immune system is not working. It's not repairing your body. So if you perceive yourself to be under stress every day, you have to do something every day to counteract it. So find something that you can do every day. Like you said, even if it's for 10 minutes, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's prayer, Maybe it's Qigong, maybe it's um, yoga, maybe it's exercise. Whatever it is, do it on a daily basis so that your body can reset, recalibrate, and allow your immune system to repair those insults that are going to happen to your body every day. Wonderful. I'm having the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Melissa Clark. Um, She's a physician living in Washington, D.C., who also works in the ER. In fact, you're taking a little break right now, but you're going to be heading back in, in that direction, looking at all kinds of interesting things as, you know, the ER is like a triage area for our hospital. And she will also be here in Seattle at Town Hall on March 28th, giving a talk um, on her beautiful book, Taking Charge of Your Health Care. Excuse me, doctor, I've got what? We'll be right back.
Have you been thinking about heading down a healthier path, but aren't quite sure where to begin? Marie has a set of DVDs that can help steer you in the right direction with wisdom, insight, and a dash of humor. The Healing From Within series imparts practical tools you can easily use to expand personal health. Marie collaborated with frequent radio guest and naturopath, Dr. Sheila Dunmerit to produce four DVDs that include detoxification, heart health, brain health, and hormones. The DVD series can be purchased online at energyintuitive.com or by calling 425-825-5671. Marie is taking her Reiki workshop on the road this spring. Become a Reiki master the weekend of March 21st through the 23rd in Phoenix, Arizona. This two and a half day transformative workshop is open to all levels of experience and will certify you in Reiki 1, 2, and 3. You will learn to move energy within the body by practicing on other workshop participants. Marie will be your instructor, guiding you with her own symbolic sight and providing constructive feedback. Here's what a past participant had to say. I was really impressed with Marie's Reiki workshop. I got so much out of it. The experience gave me not only the confidence to work on myself, but others as well. It was a fabulous experience that I would do again just for the fun of it. Take this opportunity to fulfill your dreams of becoming your very own certified Reiki master. You will receive attunements that will allow you to practice Reiki at the master level. Enrollment is limited, so please call 425-825-5671 or visit Marie's website, energyintuitive.com for more details. Manifesting dreams into reality is meant to be exciting and easy. When the tools you use stop working, a lack of self-worth is most likely holding you back. Marie's Affirm Your Worth cards are the perfect solution to increase self-appreciation while magnetizing your dreams into reality in a nurturing and fun way. Order the Affirm Your Worth cards online at energyintuitive.com or call 425-825-5671. We live in a world that's become predictable. Our realities are filled with distractions, hopelessness, and confusion. We've begun to lose touch of what we're truly capable of. It's time for us to regain our true potential. Join psychic medium and crystal child, Lindsay Paul, as she connects to the other side and brings back messages from beyond, along with her psychic and skeptic, Abraham DeWeese and indigo child, Sarah Ellis. They'll help you sort in new heights by answering your questions. Don't miss Wisdom Within Radio, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Spread the word. You don't have to settle for the usual talk radio. Now there's Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. You must help me if you can. Doctor, my eyes. Tell me what is wrong. Was I And welcome back to the Manu Cherry Show. I'm interviewing Dr. Melissa Clark. She lives in Washington, D.C. She's currently working as an ER physician. Um, she's a Harvard graduate and the author of Excuse Me, Doctor, I've Got What. She will be in Seattle March 28th. Um, doors open at 6 at Town Hall in downtown Seattle. And um, the talk is between 7 and 8.15. Uh, definitely you don't want to miss this talk. Um, Dr. Clark is an advocate and well-educated in insurance and how to pick the best practitioners for you and helping us to navigate through our new healthcare regime, if you will, or um, what I like to think of as our new positive mode of learning to take better care of ourselves. So welcome back to the show. Thanks, Marie. Yeah. And um, you have all these beautiful um 
bullet print ideas about um, what patients can focus on. And number eight is consider a clinical trial. Yes. So in many conditions, um, medicine is still obviously trying to improve treatments. And there are some instances where there really is no treatment. And as if you have one of those conditions where um, there are new treatments coming out all the time or there are a lack of treatments, one of the things you might want to consider is participating in a, tr- in a clinical trial. And in the chapter where we talk about uh, clinical trials, one of the main points is understand the risks and understand the benefits. The risks are, uh, obviously, this is something untested. Uh, and so you may have side effects, and sometimes the side effects can be pretty scary. Um, but for many people, that might outweigh the benefits might outweigh that risk because the benefits are, number one, a lot of times from a financial um, standpoint, uh, your insurance company or the sponsor of the trial will pick up most of the costs associated with your care. Wow, I didn't know that. That's definitely an incentive. Yes, Mm. absolutely. Um, In some clinical trials, you may actually have an incentive for participating in terms of um, at least taking care of your transportation expenses and those kinds of things. Um, And number two, it might be an opportunity for you to be exposed to a a potentially life-saving or um, health-improving treatment that you otherwise would not have been able to get. Um, So those are definitely things to consider. Read the fine print, and I talk about how clinical trials have been revolutionized as a result of the Tuskegee experiments, which many of us know about, where um, African-American men were just followed over the course of many years uh, for syphilis and thought they were being treated and basically deceived into participation. It's like a 40-year experience or, you know, it was was a long period of time, like 40 years. years. And now, because of that negative experience that those individuals suffered and and others like them, I think think the Tuskegee experiments are just the most famous, Uh, there are all sorts of safety mechanisms to ensure that people are not deceived and they clearly understand what they're getting into when they enroll in clinical trials. So we talk about, and excuse me, doctor, I've got what, in Chapter 9, the things that you should look for and how to evaluate a clinical trial and where to find out about clinical trials. One thing I I definitely want everybody to know, there's a website called clinicaltrials.gov where you can look up your condition and see what kinds of clinical trials are out there. You can also ask your doctor. Wow. And you can also go to foundations and organizations that specialize in your condition, and oftentimes they serve as a clearinghouse um, for uh, information on clinical trials relevant to that condition. So, for example, the Alzheimer's Association or the Juvenile Diabetes Foundation um, would be sources for information on clinical trials about those diseases. Right. Thank you so much. That's wonderful information. I love the the whole website of the clinicaltrials.gov. Um, th- 
that's fascinating. I didn't even know that existed. That's wonderful. So now that we have more and more Americans getting health care insurance or have to very shortly, they've got to figure it out, um, which is really great for our younger people who are kind of stuck in the middle, you know, who they, they can't they're old enough that they can't be covered under their parents insurance anymore. And maybe they haven't quite gotten their their profession off track on track yet. And so they're not covered very well or at all in terms of their work. So I'm really happy with um, our Health Care Act regarding that. And, and so you talk about in your book a story about a young man who'd been stabbed in a fight. And he, um, he ended up in the ER. And he was very fortunate. Um, his wound wasn't um, life-threatening, which is wonderful. But it was for his precaution, he was asked to spend the night in the hospital. He didn't want to, but he agreed. And he didn't have any complications. It was lovely. But he ended up leaving the hospital with a $5,000 bill. Absolutely, which he's still trying to pay off to this day. And it's ruined his credit because at first he ignored it. And um, I start off every chapter, and excuse me, doctor, with a story. So that was the story that I start off Chapter 10 with about financing your health care and things that you should know. Um, So in that instance, one of the things that's really important to know is that you can negotiate your hospital bill. That's crucial. When you leave the hospital, even if you do have insurance, you're going to be responsible for a part of that hospital stay, either through your deductible or your copay. Go through line by line with the hospital billing folks, you know, once you're better or have um, someone in your family do that, and see what things you may have gotten charged for that you didn't actually get, because that happens more often than people think. Mm. Then once you've decided you've both agreed on a final amount, understand that that can be negotiated if it has to go to collections, they're going to pay the collection company anywhere from 15 to 20% of the bill. So start with that as your, you know, sort of final negotiation point um, and try to negotiate it down by at least 20%. And then once you've decided on that figure, understand that if your financial situation doesn't allow for you to, to afford that, that um, if you work with the hospital billing office, uh, and they understand your financial condition, that they will, uh, they can even donate towards your cause. Right. So they are actually, they get tax deductives, right. tax deductions and incentives from whatever region they are in to give charity care. Right. So if you qualify for that, you can actually qualify um, to get a further deduction. The same is true of doctor bills, too. You can negotiate with your doctor about a bill if you can't afford it as well. So this young man may have had a different outcome if he had gone into the billing department of the hospital and negotiated with them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because I think at the time he was working as a truck driver and, um, you know, you know, had his, his work situation wasn't stable. And so based upon his income, he may have even qualified for charity care. Right. Wow. And a, and a large percentage of that bill would have been deducted. Wow. And, and so now that we're making decisions about insurance, we'll actually have two questions. One is, with the, the health care reform that's occurring, do you think that we're going to be adjusting the costs of health care so that it's not so astronomically devastating for individuals? Well, one of the goals of the health insurance industry reform is to make sure, number one, that there are subsidies available so that people can afford insurance and that insurance is more comprehensive and covers more of the things that we need it to cover so that 
people don't uh, go bankrupt paying for care that they thought their insurance was going to cover. So those are two uh, reforms on the insurance side that might affect that. There are other um, movements or trends in medicine that are changing the way that doctors and hospitals are reimbursed that are designed to cut down on the cost of care. So, for example, hospitals are being encouraged through incentives to, to provide a higher quality of care and to help patients get reintegrated back with their doctor and back into the community when they leave the hospital in a more seamless way than it has been happening mm. so that whatever care was given in the hospital can continue um, in an uninterrupted way once they leave, leading to less people having to bounce back into the hospital because they, um, you know, things fell through the cracks. So all those trends that are being driven by the way the federal government and insurance companies are reimbursing hospital and doctors are designed to keep health care costs low. Wow. I, I know that we're going to be continuing to make changes just because it's gotten a little too crazy um, in terms of how much it costs to be well in the U.S. Uh, you also talk about in here, considering all aspects of your insurance plan when you're figuring out what plan you want, uh, along with the monthly cost of the plan and the premium, but also factor in the deductible, because that can make a big difference. Yes. So all of this is driven by, first of all, taking an appraisal of you and your family's current level of health and understanding going forward what kind of services do you think your family is going to need in the upcoming year. And, of course, we don't all have a crystal ball. But if you or one of your family members has an ongoing illness, you know that you're going to be needing health care services more than if everybody's well and you just anticipate going in for checkups. So those kinds of decisions are what drives what kind of insurance plan you choose to purchase. So you want to look at what is the premium I'm paying up front, because obviously you're going to be committed to that on a monthly basis, paying that premium. But you also want to understand when I do go in for services, is my deductible going to be high? Am I going to have a high copay? Um, and what are the limits that I'm going to be expected to pay out of pocket, and can I afford that if I have to? So if you have an ongoing illness, you may want to pay a higher premium, so be committed to a higher out-of-pocket cost every month, but then when you go in for services, not have to pay a high deductible or high other out-of-pocket costs for each encounter versus if you're, if you're well and the rest of your family is pretty well, you might decide to go for the lower premium in the expectation you're not going to have to go to the doctor a lot and therefore your deductible would be higher, but you're not going to be paying it anyway because you're only going to go see the doctor once or twice a year. Right. Yeah. A lot to take into consideration when you're choosing a plan. Yes. And you map it out beautifully in your book. You really do. Even things to avoid, um, where things really aren't like the medical discount plans, you know, where they're not really legitimate insurance. That's important for people right, to know. Right, exactly. So it's important to know. I mean, I think the, the simplest thing to understand is that the health insurance exchange, as much maligned as it's been because technically the website didn't work, Right. The plans that are listed on the health insurance exchange have been vetted and they have been evaluated and uh, have to meet a certain standard. 
So therefore, when you buy health insurance from a plan on the health insurance exchange, you know you're automatically getting a, a plan that meets the minimum basic criteria for being considered a good and sound health insurance plan. So you really don't have to worry about the things that I have in my book to avoid if you go that route. Wow. Well, that is great advice and really important for the American population to understand that because these plans are vetted, that they can trust that um, they're going to meet the criteria of what they say they will meet, which is fabulous. That's wonderful. Right. Uh, I want to just thank you so much for coming on the show. I I can't believe the hour is almost over with. How can people um, find out about you? Like, where can they get your book? I'm assuming everywhere, um, like Amazon and your website as well. Absolutely. Uh, So my website is Dr. Melissa Clark. So that's D-R, Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, Clark, with an E, C-L-A-R-K-E, dot com, drmelissaclark.com. Um, I love to hear from people, so my email is info at com, And you can also find out about how to get the book on the website as well. Um, and I'm on Facebook at Dr. Melissa Clark and Twitter also at the same Dr. Melissa Clark. That's Dr. Dr. Melissa Clark with an E. Wonderful, wonderful. And you will be here in Seattle on March 28th giving a talk for everyone. Absolutely. Uh, Town Hall Seattle, 7 o'clock on March 28th, which is a Friday. So I hope everybody can, uh, can make it out. I would, uh, I'm going to be talking about being health-empowered. Wow. Patient no more. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's only $5 for the ticket. So I, I hope that people take advantage of your coming to our town and giving a chat to all of us. And thank you so much for coming on the show. You're so-, so welcome. I'll also be doing a book signing afterwards oh, wonderful. Uh, for those who are interested. And thanks so much for having me, Marie. It's, it's been a great hour. <laughs> wonderful. Thank you as well. And good luck with everything. All right. Thank you. Well, what a great hour. That was so much fun, so interesting. I really enjoyed that. Amazing woman. Uh, lovely And woman. so much ahead of her, too, right? I know, right? Wow, we're very fortunate to have compassionate physicians in the world who mm-hmm. are doing their best to educate us on how we can stay really healthy and be open to other things, um, along with healthy allopathic medicine, but, but whatever passionately helps us to reduce our stress. Don't forget to leave out passionate RNs and former, uh, former yes, RNs. Of course. Like just yes. putting you in there. I love medicine. It makes me very happy. I will be in um, California on March 7th and 8th. I'll be giving a talk at the School of a Multiple Dimensional Healing, a book talk, and then I will be teaching a workshop on Saturday, March 8th, between 1230 and 530, Connecting to Guidance Workshop. I'm so looking forward to that. And then I will be in Phoenix, Arizona, March 21st through the 23rd, teaching a Reiki workshop. Go to energyintuitive.com under the event page to find out more. Have a beautiful day. Joyful blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.